Our scripture for today is John 10, 22 through 30. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ian. Well, good morning, everybody. I told Tim last week it was kind of a dangerous move telling people ahead of time that he wasn't going to be preaching, that I was. But thanks for brave, bravely coming out here today. Um, this is my second time ever, and this time it's not even just called up in an emergency. Um, so I've had a, a little bit more time to, to think ahead on this one, so hopefully that doesn't, that doesn't, uh, that serves me well and not worse. But um, a lot of you know me as uh, the normal job I do. I've been flying commercially for, for about 18 years, and I was preparing for this and thinking back to uh, an event that happened. This was almost 15 years ago, but specifically August 27th, 2006. I'd been flying for three years at this point. I was on a layover in Manchester, New Hampshire, working for a company that I flew for previously. This was the picture of the little 50-seat uh, commuter jets that say Delta on the tail. And my phone rings early in the morning, and it was Mary calling and kind of worked up. She said, oh, I just wanted to see if you were okay. And I thought, well, what's going on? I, yeah, I'm fine. And she said, did you not hear about the plane crash? And, and so now I'm wide awake, and I turn on the TV, and at this point, very few details are out, but just a, a lot of questions more than answers. But there would have been a plane crash in Lexington, Kentucky. I've got a little slide of the airport diagram here. But Lexington's a small airport, two runways. There was a plane crash site right off the end of that shorter runway on the north side. And so there's all these questions swirling around. What happened? How did anybody live? Uh, did, they, did they really try to take off on that short runway? Is it possible? Is that runway long enough? And I thought initially maybe they took off on the long one and had an emergency and tried to come back and land on that short one and didn't make it. But there was tons of questions swirling, and as the details started to come out, it was becoming more and more evident that they actually had, had crashed off the end of this short runway. And so it took a while for the NTSB and all the investigations to take place and, and to determine officially what, what they ruled the cause of that accident, but there was a lot of factors contributing to it like there usually is, but overall, in the end, they ultimately said that the, the contributing, the major contributing factor was was due to pilot error, due to the crew not, not being sure of where they were on the airport and inadvertently taking off on this shorter runway. And so one of the things that came out of that is some different procedural uh, safety checks, but, but they said when they went back and reviewed the, the cockpit voice recordings and the, and the tapes, that at no point, even though there was things that should have triggered them to recognize, hey, something's wrong here, they just were convinced that they were in the right spot and they just kept continuing on this path that ultimately was, was tragic. 50 people uh, were in that accident, 49 of them died. 
And so I don't tell that story just to be a shock value here or try to get your attention with some tragedy. But, but where might we see ourselves in this in terms of are we missing the clues that are right in front of us? Could there be something going on in our life that, that we're so convinced that our picture is showing us otherwise, but yet where we could be potentially on a, on a dangerous path? And so let's pray here and we'll dig into our text. Heavenly Father, would you just join us in this morning? And Lord, my prayer is that, that we would hear your voice and that there's where uh, any of us might have brought in with us this morning just distractions. I love that song that we just sang that, that our restless heart finds rest in you. Uh, would you quiet our restless hearts here this morning and just whatever business you would have to do with us, would you, would you just speak to us and would we receive that? Would we hear your voice? Would we be changed by it? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So remember last week we're coming off of the first half of John 10 where it's this kind of picture of us being sheep and Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the one that lays his life down for the sheep. He says he has the authority to take it up again. So you can imagine as he's saying these things, there's just some tension in the, in the atmosphere with what's he saying, what's he trying to say, who does he think he is. And, and we see this play out in the first, first part of this passage here. So let's, let's read, open up with me, or it's going to be on the screen. Uh, John 10, verse 22 and 23 says, At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And so we see this, this kind of tension overflowing here. Just, just tell us who you are. We're getting kind of tired of these pictures, and will you just, if you, we know who we think the Messiah is, just tell us if you're him. And, and I think we can see ourselves in that. It's just have you ever been in a situation where you're just urgently needing an answer to a question? And I think the thing that came to my mind quickly with that was just imagine a medical diagnosis that you're waiting to hear back from. And it's not so much even that you are waiting to hear the answer, it's you're waiting to hear the answer that you are expecting to hear so that you can get on with your life and feel okay. And, and I think this is totally relatable to us, and then the question is, how do we handle ourselves in the anticipation, in the suspense that, that we're talking about here? You know, and, and I was just walking by this morning, we got a whole section over here on the table of, of booklets, and it's, they're great stuff. Mary was even flipping through one this morning saying, this is really good, this is some stuff that I've got going on with the kids, but it's just the way that life works out for us that, that leaves us restless, and it leaves us anxious, and I think we just want to be reassured that things are going to be okay. We want to be reassured that we're going to be safe and secure, and I think it's one of the reasons that insurance policies are so huge in this country. We just want to have some kind of, just give me some peace of mind that it's going to be all right, and then I can get along with my day. So this is what the, the Jews were saying here to Jesus, is, is they say, we know who we think the Messiah is going to be, we're just not seeing it. And so... They, they clearly understood from their understanding of the Old Testament that there was going to be a king and he was going to come back and he was going to reign and he was going to restore them to their place of, of glory as the Jewish people. And instead, they get this guy and he doesn't look like a king and he doesn't sound like a king and he didn't arrive like a king. And, in, and to make it worse, he's instead of praising them for how holy they are and how good of a job they've been doing waiting for him, he's rebuking them. 
And then he's stepping on their toes, doing things like healing people on the Sabbath, which, which they just see as a, a complete insult to the, the Mosaic law. So what, kind of like from our story at the airport, they've got this, this expectation bias. That was the name that came out of that investigation, was they said that this crew had an expectation bias, part of them, that they could only see what they wanted to see. They were clouded from, from all the clues that, that should have been bringing, them, bringing their attention to what was most important. So is it possible that we could be in that same situation where we've just got this, we're only seeing what we expect to see? If, if you think that that could be true, and I would argue that it, that it is in some way for all of us, you'd be in good company because we read in, in Luke chapter 7 that John the Baptist, remember John the Baptist's like main point was to herald the, the good news of the coming Messiah. He goes through the same scenario and at one point even sends messengers to Jesus to ask, are you the one that we're expecting or should we expect another? And it's, it's this, he had an expectation of who he thought Jesus was going to be and then Jesus ultimately wasn't fulfilling that expectation. He, actually, he even sent somebody to say, go, go check and make sure that we've got the right guy. And it's just crazy thinking of the background leading up to, to the, where the two of them, uh, you know, the baptisms. And it's, it's pretty profound. So this isn't an unreasonable scenario that we could potentially find ourselves in. So that's, that's kind of the question that we're starting with is, is them saying, are you the Christ? Let's look at Jesus's response to them. Verses 25 here of, of John 10, Jesus answered them, I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. So in this case, he, he goes about explaining to the Jews in almost the same way that he told John the Baptist's messengers when they came to him. When John's messengers came, Jesus sent them back to John and said, go tell John what you have seen and heard. And, and he's saying this right now, I've told you and you didn't listen. And, and I've showed you in the works that I do in my Father's name as they bear witness about me, but you didn't get it. And it's, it's an interesting observation as you read through you know, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, the, the accounts of Jesus as he walked on the earth. There's this combination of you hear about Jesus' teachings and you hear about Jesus' works. You hear his parables and you hear his miracles. So there's this, there's this situation of, who does he say that he is? And then how does that get received by the people that he says it to? And so let's just look, let's just look really quick here at some of them. Now, some of the cases, they're, they're accusing him in this passage of not speaking plainly. And so that's true, and, and sometimes he'll say stuff like, I'm the light of the world, I'm the bread of life, I'm the living water, I'm the good shepherd. So there's, there's maybe some vagueness in that. But there's a lot of cases where he just speaks directly. And so... Don't try to take notes of these references. I'm just going to rattle through them quickly here. But this just, as I do, put yourself in the position of hearing this firsthand and, and what he's actually saying. So in, and these are going to be just references just from, recorded from the book of John and just in the first chapters, just, just up to where we're at right now in the book of John. So in John 5:39, Jesus says, the scriptures bear witness about me. And in John 6, 38, he says, I've come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. Uh, John 6, 62, Jesus says that they would see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. John 8, 42, Jesus says, I came from God. He sent me. And John 8, 58, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. 
And that's a, that's a huge one. If you were the Jewish people at that time, going to recognize that that's a, a reference specifically from the Old Testament that, that would have been a lot more unmistakable maybe than as we just read it in glancing. Um, when the blind man asked Jesus who the Son of Man was, Jesus' response to him was, you have seen him, it's he that's speaking to you. And then just last week, John 10, 18, Jesus said, the Father has given me authority to lay down my life and to take it up again. And so those, those are some, some unambiguous uh, terms that Jesus is describing himself in his own words. So that's, that's his words. How about his works? It's just so far in John, we've seen him turn water into wine. We've seen him heal the man that was lame uh, for 38 years. We've seen him feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. We've seen him walk on the water and heal a man that was born blind. And so you can hear these things and see these things and think, is it possible to observe this stuff and not, not get it, not be moved by it? I think of you know, just one more instance where he's having this back and forth conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. And at the end of their back and forth, she says to him, well, I know that someday the Messiah is coming and when he arrives, we'll just ask him. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. And I just think, I imagine that scenario being like she's taking a sip of water at that moment and as he says it, she just like snorts it out her nose. Because she gets, she gets it even to the point where she walks away and says, come and see the man that told me everything I ever did. Like, could this be the Messiah? And so we've got this situation where he says it and he shows it and some people get it and some people don't get it. And I think it's getting back to this expectation bias. Or There's one more kind of area of this I want to explore just for a second. And we, we get a, a hint of it here in, in verse 26. that just gives us a something to consider. So in verse 26, Jesus says, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. And so that's, that's kind of a bold statement, right? And I think Jesus says a couple other bold statements early on in chapter 6 of John. We read in, in verse 44 of chapter 6, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then in verse 65, he says again, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So if you're anything like me, you, you can read these verses and, and hear something like, you don't believe me because you're not one of my sheep, and you can potentially start having these wrestles in your mind and, and you know, conversations with yourself that can kind of start asking things like, well, what if I'm not one of his sheep, you know, or... Or am I one of his sheep? But if I'm not, is there, am I just out of luck? You know, is it he, he chose somebody else and there's no, no good news for me? This is good news, but not for me. You know, is, it, can I, is there a loser's bracket I can work my way back into the game? Or can I, if I just try really hard to be a good person, can I, can I somehow get in, back in his good favor? And, and it's not that the problem lies in asking those questions. Those are decent, fair questions. But the problem could be more of um, when we go that route, we're starting to, to wrestle and getting ourselves into maybe some unnecessary trouble of saying, maybe God's not fair. You know, maybe he's unjust. And I look back to kind of a light bulb moment going off for me about 20 years ago. We were in a church after we were newly married, and the pastor there just loved to preach about the sovereignty of God. And he loved to go into these passages and, and talk about them because he said, we've got to address them. They're in the Bible. 
And, and he said, usually when we're stuck thinking about God being unfair, we're usually coming at it from the wrong perspective. We tend to, in any issue of justice, align ourselves over here with the side of the people who are being treated unjustly or unfairly, and we see ourselves as this sheep who's begging Jesus to receive me, and Jesus is over here going, not so fast, I want you and you and not you. And that, that sounds unfair to us. It feels like we can get ourselves into some trouble about how we think about God. So I got this kind of picture, illustration that I've used to think about it, and I've shared it with a few people over the years. So imagine that we're on the Titanic, and it's going down, we realize it's sinking, and we know that the path to life and safety is to get on these lifeboats. And there's this guy, though, standing in front of all the lifeboats, and it's his job to decide who gets to get on and who gets to be saved. And so you can think, how, how's that going to go? Like, maybe we take the women and the children, but then who decides after that? Or how do you decide? Is it who's been the better person? Or maybe who paid the most money? Or, or what's the, the criteria? And we can start saying, that this could get unfair quickly. And we can tend to think of Jesus that way, think of God that way. But flip your perspective here for a second, and now imagine that we're on this ship that's going down, and instead of pushing people away, the man in front of the lifeboats is saying, come to me, come here, I have the path to life and to safety, and instead of pushing people off, people are running the other direction. And they're, they're scrambling for the other side of the boat, and if they can hear his voice, they're saying, leave us alone, who are you to tell me what to do? I don't need to listen to you, I'm fine by myself, you know, I've got this. That's a totally different picture of, of us thinking of God unfairly. And I, and I just think it's, it's a picture that's helped me over the years understand more accurately who God is, who the Bible explains him to be. It's helped me understand more accurately who I am in that story. And it helps me appreciate who Jesus is in a beautiful way. You know, so maybe we're not, maybe God's not this cruel judge that we've potentially painted him to be. Maybe I'm not this, this innocent sheep that's begging to come along and being told, no, I didn't choose you. And so this helps frame the picture in a way that, that I hope it did for me. I hope for you brings security, brings, brings hope, and it's an eternal security. I've heard it said before that if you think God's not fair, then you're probably right, but just not in the way that you think that you are. So the key thing to remember in all this, they're just the, the takeaway. I wasn't wanting to go into this tangent of, of theology or doctrine of, of uh, it's called election, but just to remember here that God's pursuing his people. This is an open invitation. There's plenty of room on these lifeboats for all who would turn and receive him. It's a call for people to respond. So we probably are familiar with the verse John 3:16, right? We could probably quote it. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that, what's the next word? Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That word whoever includes you. It includes anyone that you ever share Jesus with. So let's try to bring it back here to our text. So far we've looked at this question, are you the Christ is what they're asking. They're urgently asking, they're worked up in a frenzy as they ask it. And then we've seen his response that says, I told you, and you didn't get it. I, I've showed you with my works, and you just didn't pay attention. And 
And we've talked a little bit about how we can see ourselves in that. They're clouded in their judgment. They're clouded in their vision because they can't see clearly. There's too many things competing with their expectations of who they thought Jesus would be. So before he actually answers, like ties this up and answers their question, he's kind of just responded more so than answered at this point. He's going to paint one more picture for him to kind of lay the groundwork for, the, for his answer. And, and to do that, he's going to go back to this image of the sheep that we talked about last week. So let's read here in verse 27 and 28. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So this here is kind of at the heart of what I hope that we can take away from this today. It's this idea of a picture of safety and eternal security that Jesus is promising that's in the Father's hands. He's saying, you are one of his sheep if you hear his voice. And Jesus speaks here of an eternal security. This isn't, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. So this isn't just a fleeting hope that Jesus is promising. It's not a shallow promise. This isn't a Hey, listen up, This'll, this is some good news that'll help get you through today, get you through you know, this tough season that you're in. This is Jesus saying, I will fulfill what I have come here to do, what I've been sent from my Father to accomplish. And not only that, no one is gonna obstruct me from doing that. He says in here, no one will snatch them out of my hand. This, this word snatch kind of, implies taking by force or taking something that someone else possesses against their, against their will. We read last week about the, the wolf that comes to snatch and to scatter the sheep. And when that happens, the, the hired hand, it said, flees because he just wants to save his own life. But the shepherd, the good shepherd, lays his life down for the sheep. They're safe. You know, and so in that, if this is true for us, we are safe. We're on the right path to life. We're in that lifeboat. And it gets even better here in verse 29. He almost makes the same, he reiterates himself and says, my father has given them to me and he is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So we have this picture here. Simultaneously, the sheep are both in Jesus' hand, having been given to him by the father. Pay no attention to John Stewart. The sheep are in, in Jesus' hand and in the Father's hand simultaneously. There's, there's, and beyond that, nothing is going to take them away. So in Romans, you're not going to get the verse, but Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, probably familiar with this, I'm sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present, things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So just in the world that we live in today, there's, there's tons of competing narratives out there to get your attention. And, and some of that would be tempting to say, is this going to like tip the scale and, and win over for us? But as, as we understand this, what Jesus is saying here about the Father is greater than all, that means that there is no stronger argument. There is nothing that's gonna be more compelling or more persuasive or manipulative that is going to, to snatch us out of the Father's hands. And if that's true, you could not be more safe. 
you couldn't be more eternally secure. That's good news. So this picture kind of finally builds the framework for him to finally answer their question, are you the Christ? And he just does it bluntly and quickly, and he says, I and the Father are one. And it's easy to just read over that quickly and not process the, the significance of what that's saying. I and the Father are one. This is a huge answer for the, the Jews that are asking that question because they, remember, have this expectation and they're, they're biased towards it and they, they thought they knew what they were asking when they said, are you, the, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, yes, I am. But I'm also way more than you expected. I am one with the Father and together we're saving our sheep. The Father has given them to me and I will lay my life down for them, and they will be safe and have eternal life, and nothing will stand in the way of that. So what was their response? That's, Tim only told me to preach to verse 22, so that's, that's going to have to be next week, or you can read ahead, but the spoiler is, is what they don't say is, wow, Jesus, thank you, because we were like lined up on this short runway, and we were almost a power down and go towards our destruction. You know, that's, that's not what they would have said, but you're getting my point is they didn't get it, and they needed to have their minds reoriented to what was right in front of them. But what's our response in this? Is this good news for us? And one of the things I like in this is that there's no mention anywhere about the sheep being credited for, their, for the merit that they brought to this situation. It wasn't, I, I really saw these sheep do some good stuff. This wasn't about their, their uh, the sheep's performance, so that the, the sheep had tried really hard. It's, it's just that he called them by name, and they heard his voice, and they turned, and they followed him, and he gave them eternal life. So, so maybe we've been thinking about safety and security in the wrong way because we've been thinking about Jesus in the wrong way. Or maybe not the wrong way necessarily, but maybe just in an incomplete way, that there's more to him than, than, than we were giving him credit for. How can we apply this truth in a way that transforms us, right? There's, there's, that's the idea. Is do, we, do we walk out of here a changed person by what we can hear from his word? And so I would say just we can start by listening for his voice. So maybe, maybe you're hearing it for the first time in a clear way. And if so, I would just say respond to that. I know lots of stories of where people hear Jesus' voice and they just wrestle with it. And they say, eh, I don't know if this is the time to, to respond. I, I hear you, but I'll, I need to think through some things. I need to maybe talk to some people and validate if what I'm thinking is, is accurate. Maybe I need to, to finish reading through the Bible. Whatever that, that case may be, if you hear his voice, he's turning you towards himself, so respond to that just humbly. Um, maybe you're not hearing it for the first time, but, but maybe it's like a shifting gears for us of, of did we see, did we have some kind of expectation bias of what we, we've painted Jesus in a box, and, and he, would, he would choose to, to unveil our eyes to see him more clearly. You know, can this change us in a way that, that helps us process what's going on in the world? There's a lot of scary stuff going on in the world right now. So can this, this change us in a way that, that says, man, when I'm at home dwelling on the worst case scenario of something coming through, coming true, I, I don't have to dive into this 
path of anxiety or, or anger as I, as I wait on these things? Or what about when the worst case scenario actually comes true? You know, is this, is this something that, that I can hold my head up in confidence? John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. You know, and this isn't a promise that, that come to me and you will have prosperity and comfort and ease and things will go well for you and you won't suffer. This is, this is saying you can have joy in your suffering because of this truth. This is somebody who can be on their deathbed suffering and say, I have joy because this death is not going to snatch me out of the Father's hand. So, so how about us as a church? What about how could, this, how could this impact us as a family of believers transformed by the way we see Jesus? Imagine the hope that could come knowing that we're safe and eternally secure, not just safe and secure from today's problem, but eternally there's a saying, transformed lives, transform lives. So if our life is transformed, could that then transform someone else's life? Could, could this have a ripple effect on us as we, as believers, enter out into our community with this hope? This hope that should give us more optimism than pessimism as we, as we uh, engage with people in just the messed up society that, that we can get frustrated with. You know, how about if we have a steadfast joy in our conversations about politics or, or COVID? Uh, just this eternal hope of abundant life in Christ, even to the point of joy and suffering, as we talk to people we disagree with. So just lastly here, just some things we can do. The main thing I would, I would encourage is just, and you can start this today as we walk out of here, put yourself in a position to hear the voice of Jesus. And so one of the takeaways from that accident that they, that they have trained us over the years is, you know, there's some procedural stuff. You know, like, we're going to line up the compass heading with the runway. You know, that's an easy, easy checklist item. Uh, we're going to verify the signage on the taxiway with the runway. And, the, and so that's procedural. But the, but the, the thing I remember, and it's still, we still talk about it in training today, is if at any point in your taxi in that airplane and you aren't 100% sure of where you are, stop and set the brake and don't move until you figured it out. You know, maybe it'll cause some chaos, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna proceed if we aren't sure that where we're going is safe. And I'm thinking that that's what possibly we need to do here in response to this text, is that just we need to stop. And is there something in our life that's just distracting us? You know, are we, are we going too hard? Are we, are, we, are we too spread thin? Is something in our life taking a priority that, that maybe it shouldn't have that's preventing us from seeing Jesus clearly. And I would say let your beacon and your compass to, to align yourself be his word and prayerfully considering his word. And then the last encouragement I would have is to do that together with other people. We aren't meant to do this alone. This is a plug to get you into a, into a community group. Um, the two ditches we could fall in here are to say, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hang out here and trust God. But then that can, you could do that from your basement. So it's not a let go and let God, it's, it's no, we wanna take action. But we don't wanna go too far to the other direction and say, I don't even need the lifeboat because can you see how good I can swim? You know, like, I'm pretty awesome at this. 
but, but can we just center ourselves up where, where it's, if I was just saying this to my son, it's not let go and let God, but it's get going and trust God. So the kids are studying logic right now, and we're kind of always looking out for when we see something that's a syllogism and, and making a note of it. So there's, I was reading in one of the commentaries on this passage, and there was a syllogism I observed. So I'll just close this with that. It says, Christ is our shepherd. Christ is God. God is our shepherd. And if that's true, then we are safe. The shepherd's job is to keep the sheep safe. We are eternally safe in both the hands of, of Jesus and of the Father. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've that you have come and that you have done and you will do what you came to do. And we just confess this morning for where we have uh, just gotten caught up as we're in suspense, we're in turmoil, and, and things have potentially blinded us from seeing you rightly. And we, we ask that you would just reveal yourself through your word, through your voice, through your works, and that you would transform us uh, in a way that, that we can remember that we are, are safe, not just from the woes of today, but eternally safe, and that, that the safety that we can feel with an eternal perspective can transform us in our, in our current walk today. So would you let that be true? Would, there, would, you, would you just help people that, who might have brought baggage in here today that, that, that the lack of feeling secure in the moment is really causing havoc in their life? And, and would you um, help us to lift our eyes and turn to you and follow? And we just thank you for this. We, we pray it in Jesus' name. So one of the means of grace that we have to, to respond to Jesus is through the Lord's Supper. So as we come and do that now, just uh, one of the things is kind of leading up to this and thinking about the Lord's Supper was just kind of the double-sided thing of how we do it in remembrance and we do it to, to signify our unity with Christ. But I also want to just, as you're, as you're receiving the bread and the cup this morning, also consider how... It's, it's showing our unity with Christ, but it's also showing our unity as the body of Christ. We're, we're here symbolizing that we're sharing a meal together. It's a sweet thing that we get to do in our community groups is to share a meal together. But as we drink this, this cup and, and eat the bread, we're showing that, that we have bonded, not over an agreement of sameness. Tim and I talk about sameness. Like the goal isn't that we're all the same people. But the goal is that we, that we unify together in Christ. So uh, the Bible gives warnings or in Scripture that we wouldn't rush to the table. In uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to say, let a person examine himself and then so eat the bread and drink the cup. So if this is, if this is accurate or true for you, that you would just stay in your chair and, and do your business with the Lord. If you're hearing his voice for the first time, just, just receive that and then come to the table. Um, I want to, again, just remember that, that, that the purpose of this is to, to lift our spirits, to cheer our downcast souls. And so as we come to the table here, we'll, we'll funnel through uh, the middle and sit down, and we'll, we'll take the, either the wine by your conscience or the juice and then remain standing, and we'll all take it together.
Paul's talking about in, in 1 Corinthians in the idea of unity. He says, this bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread and we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So as we take this bread here, we, we signify, Lord, we come together in unity in remembrance of you. Again, in 1 Corinthians, he's quoting Jesus as he says, in the same way, he took the cup, and after supper, saying, this cup 
is a new covenant in my blood. Do this often as you do, as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he adds, and as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it's a remembrance, and it's also a proclamation that he is returning. He will fulfill what he came to do.